Welcome to What the Fuck Just Happened. I'm your host, Liz Enton. If you listen to the intro, you know my story. If not, here's a brief summary. I'm a science skeptic, and when my dad died, I took a shot in the dark and decided to investigate if there was any possible evidence of an afterlife. I assumed that was as realistic as Santa Claus, but I was desperate. However, I was so blown away by what I discovered that I wrote a book and launched this podcast. In this podcast, I will be talking to some fairly normal people about some really weird shit. I speak with everyone from psychic mediums and afterlife researchers to ordinary people who've had some inexplicable experiences. So come, listen, there's no need to draw any final conclusions. Keep an open mind and wonder, what the fuck just happened? Today is a bonus episode. I did an episode and had a conversation on Dr. Lenore Matthews' YouTube channel, and this episode was called Spirituality for Skeptics, How Evidence of the Afterlife Gives Us Tangible Hope. And now I'm sharing the audio of this conversation with all of you here on this podcast. So according to her website, Dr. Lenore Matthew says, I am a researcher practitioner from the field of social work. I have clinical expertise in evidence-based practice as well as trauma and grief. My intuitive gift of psychic mediumship unexpectedly opened up with the sudden death of my husband by suicide. So she and I have been connecting a lot and I will be also releasing an episode with her on this podcast, but you definitely should check her out. And if you want to see the video of this episode, It is also on her YouTube channel, which I linked to in the show notes. She also has a lot of other great content on her channel, and she hosts really amazing events, retreats, and more. You like mediums who really care about data and evidence, which I assume you do since you listen to this podcast. You'll absolutely love her. And now for this episode. As she announces, welcome everyone. I am Dr. Lenore Matthew, and I'm here with my dear friend and colleague and one of the most lovely humans that I know, especially in the afterlife research world, but in general, Liz Enton. Beautiful. So thank you so much for joining this evening or afternoon, wherever um, you may be in the world. This is a talk forum or discussion Um, And it's titled Spirituality for Skeptics, How Evidence of the Afterlife Gives Us Tangible Hope. Liz and I are both former skeptics, current critical eyers, if you will, about the afterlife. Um, And we met about maybe over at least a year ago, probably more than that. Um, And a commonality on our path was that we were both brought into exploring the afterlife after or by way of encountering it through our own personal loss of someone very close to us, very dear to us, and a subsequent busting open of a world that we never knew or really paid attention to, the afterlife. Um, So I'm a doctor of social work. I'm a researcher practitioner. 
My specialization is in evidence-based practice and evaluation. That was my career before this happens. Um, and I'm also an evidential psychic medium. I, for a long time, was practicing. My mediumship opened up uh, when the person who I love passed away, and that was my late husband. And I practiced as a medium for a couple of years, and I've moved back into the research capacity now. Um, and I work in a research and education area, uh, really focusing on mediumship and other mind-body spirit tools as holistic, credible ways forward in healing. So I will turn it over to Liz if you would like to introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Liz. I'm an entrepreneur. My main business or brand related to afterlife evidence is called What the Fuck Just Happened. It's a book, podcast, and science and spirituality intimate events like dinners or brunches. Um, my book is WTF Just Happened, a sciencey skeptic explores grace, healing, and evidence of an afterlife. And my podcast is WTF Just Happened, all about the afterlife, no woo. And I grew up thinking there was zero chance of an afterlife. It just wasn't even on my radar. It was just like, I would consider it about as much as I would consider the tooth fairy. So it was just completely irrelevant. And of course, who wouldn't want it to be true? It just I never had any reason to think it was. So I just did my best to never think about it. And 2015, my dad passed away and I decided to kind of take a shot in the dark and think anything would happen from it. And I guess this is kind of what we'll talk about today, but I would say the luck of the right Google search led me down the right path. Probably Lenore and other mediums would say it was not luck. So it just, one thing led to another and I definitely will say, I think there's, I approach everything from evidence-based perspective rather than a spiritual perspective. And I definitely think at this point, there's a preponderance of evidence that our consciousness is not created by our brain and is stored somewhere non-locally. It's downloaded by our brain and continues when we're no longer in a body, which is just to me the most mind-blowing profound. That's why I'm like, how could I not write a book, do a podcast, do and like talk about it all the time? I'm just like, this is so crazy. How it is like, once you start getting the evidence, how do you talk about anything else? So that's my perspective and where I come from. Amazing. I love it. I love the two, our perspectives as well, being two researchers from very different backgrounds and then having two different kind of lived experiences with mediumship. For me, it was my mediumship open the night that my husband passed. And for you, Liz, it was very much digging into by way of seeing mediums, exploring this world that opened up to us and touched our lives in very unique, but also synchronistic ways as well with a lot of crossover. So let's dive in. So we'll talk for about 50 minutes or so. We'll go until about half after the next hour. And then we'll open it up for about 30 minutes of questions. So as you're listening in, please take note of anything that you'd like us to dig into further. Do you have any burning questions that you've come to the, um, the evening with? By all means, those will be welcome as well. So we'll get to that. And jumping in, I would love to start off with Liz. Can you talk a little bit? And I'll speak to this as well. But I'd love to hear how this started for you. How exactly did you come into the world of afterlife research? Your book, your podcast, WTF just happened. How did that happen for you? Yeah. So as I said, my dad passed away. And when he was really sick and they were talking hospice and it was clear he wasn't going to get better, my very first thought was, 
okay, most of science fiction seems to come true in the end. So if you look at like science fiction from say the 1970s or 80s, most of it's real today. And like Zoom. <laughs> and so my very first thought was, is there any way we could turn back time? Because that's a big part of science fiction. And if it was going on, we wouldn't really know it was. So I had this mindset that maybe I somehow we could like do some way to turn back time, get my dad like 2000 years into the future. Medicine is completely different. I mean, it wasn't one of those things. I'm like, let me practically sit down and do this. It was more like one of those flashing thoughts of a maybe. And if it was going on, we wouldn't really know. So Googled that, found time travel and Einstein's universe. And it explained basically that time travel is theoretically possible. It's not easily doable. For example, you'd have to build a rocket ship, which we are not actually capable of doing that could travel at almost the speed of light and time it takes two twins for example and if one of them was traveling close to the speed of light i have the exact time frame wrong but this is the concept like it was two years would pass for them and it would be 20 years on earth so i was just like if that's true what else and so my very next thought which is just what opened all the doors was okay so Let's say our consciousness is created by brain neurons, and that happened once. There's absolutely no reason it couldn't happen again, and I would get to be a person again. I wouldn't be Liz, but I would at least experience consciousness as another human being, and my dad would experience consciousness as another human being. And I mean, if that's not ideal, because we'd never know or see each other again, but if all you've thought your whole life is the other options complete obliteration it's 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 i'll take it so i googled that and like well i had one other little thought with that i was like just is there any chance ever if this has happened that the memories have carried over somehow at least like one person once so that somehow just the right viewers and got i found dr jim tucker and dr ian stevenson they Dr. Ian Stevenson has since passed away and Dr. Jim Tucker has taken over his work, but they're child psychiatrists, professors at the University of Virginia, and they study cases of kids with past life memories and are getting positive results. And they study them in a database, logical way. And as I said, they're psychiatrists and professors. And I found out, again, I said professors at the University of Virginia, which led me to find a hold of at the University of Virginia called the Division of Perceptual Studies, which is filled with professors, serious researchers studying, for example, cases of kids with past life memories, studying psychic mediums, studying near-death experiences, which if people don't know what that is, that's when you are clinically declared dead, all brainwaves stop, heart stops, and you're resuscitated and you come back and report really remarkable stories basically showing your consciousness not only continues but seems to be much more vivid when your all your physical signals stop so and I was just like these are I mean these are not what you would call like spiritual believey people these are like science researchers at a university and that just that changed everything for me and it was just like led one thing to another to another to another to today. So that was 
a very shortened, although still a long explanation, like condensed five years of my life. I love that. And I had a similar experience with going to what I know and what I trust in the beginning when this opened up, which is empirical research. So the night that my late husband passed away in 2020 was the first time he came to me mediumistically. And he gave me a, it wasn't even a download at this point, it was an experience. And I felt him come into my body. He showed me a very visual and very sentient and also audience and also clear cognizant experience, which was what he wanted for his his funeral. We'd never talked about this before. I mean, we were in our mid thirties when he passed. Um, I was later able to validate all of that. I saw my first medium six weeks after he passed and the experiences from him, from my husband kept coming and coming messages that I was able to objectively verify through information that I was able to get a hold of. So for example, he would say things like, he would come to me in these experiences and it would oftentimes be a meditation, but sometimes it was just almost like day to day. And he would say like, go to my computer, find X, Y, Z, give me a title of a hidden file and you'll find what you need to know right now. And I would find more and more information. My husband passed by taking his own life and it was very out of the blue. There were no forewarnings that at the time that I recognized, and of course, uh, in hindsight, everything is different. Um, but it was through his information that he gave me, I was able to verify objectively what was happening. And, and then I saw my first medium six weeks after he passed because these experiences kept coming and I was able to verify it, keeping in mind, not only am I obliterated in terms of like my reality because my husband had passed away. And so tragically in a, you know, a very young age, but I'm also a left brainer researcher whose job and entire identity, at least professionally is to work in data. And as an evaluation specialist, my entire professional life was based on show me the evidence that something exists in order for me to believe it. And as he kept coming to me, my husband to show me different, give me different messages that I could validate. And of course I documented all of them meticulously, um, being the researcher that I am, I started to say like, okay, not only do I know in my body that this is real, but there's also something here. So I saw the first medium. I was nowhere online. He knew nothing about me. I was totally skeptical. And the first thing that he said without knowing anything about me is he brought easily tapped into my husband and he recounted the exact same first message that my husband gave me, which is exactly what he wanted for his celebration of life. And as this is all happening, I was trying to make sense of it. And so I went like you did to the empirical research. And so I popped in the chat box, the division of perceptual studies at the university of Virginia. That is, I mean, that organizer, that department rather is like just, it's, it's a beacon in this world of afterlife research. And for me, it was a beacon of direction. I started to find information and rigorous studies on not only mediumship and awakenings, but also NDEs, near-death experiences, things that at least tangentially uh, related to the experiences that I was having. Yeah. Yeah. 
I could go on and on, but I'm going to stop there. Uh, but for both of us, and I, and I guess this is really important for this, is we're highlighting this to the people that are tuning in and who are here tonight, because I imagine that if you're curious about afterlife, and even if it's touched you in your own personal life in some way, it's almost like the first questions that we all kind of have are, am I imagining this? Am I like, quote unquote, crazy, which as a social worker, that's not a phrase that I would ever say. However, it's a phrase that I said to myself repeatedly because it was so kind of just out of my realm of normal up until that point. Now talking to dead people is like an everyday thing. And I'm <laughs> fine with this is my normal. But at that point, I couldn't rationalize it. But to say and point to places, spaces like UVA and other research um, including the research that both of us are doing, and we'll definitely talk about that. There is a massive empirical base that is so rich and rigorous that documents that these, these experiences are not so uncommon. Yeah. The amount, I think that's one of the things that just blew me away was the amount of evidence. Like if you see one or two things, you can dismiss them. But when you get just evidence, evidence, lab research, personal experiences, anecdotal evidence, which people say, okay, anecdotal, you can dismiss, but piles and piles of anecdotal evidence that correlates with both one another, as well as the data coming in from a lab, and then evidence of meeting people, like these people become your best friends and you're watching them give medium readings. You're like, I trust this person. I know they're not doing Zoom. And as well as my own readings where they couldn't, not, they're not doing, doing Google is what I meant, sorry. Um, you know, hiding my own information and mediums knowing things they couldn't. I mean, you just, it just all adds up. It's just, the, the evidence, it's just, it's so vast that it would take like volumes and volumes and volumes of books to put it all together. Mm-hmm. Oh, and one line that I think always opened my mind to, to really allowing myself to process this was, I guess, was two lines. One, Dr. Julie Beichel, she's one of the co-founders of Winbridge Institute that does research on psychic mediums. She said, just put away all your assumptions and follow the data. That was one of the things that let me start moving forward. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to play a game. I'm going to pretend that I don't have an opinion. I was like, I don't think this is real, but I'm going to pretend that I just have no opinion and know nothing and just absorb everything. And then the next one was, um, you know, David Palmer's labeled it the hard problem of consciousness. There is no explanation for how all these complex brain neurons, they're still material and mass and matter. There's no explanation for how they create consciousness. So to say consciousness is created by a brain is just as much a leap of assumption as it is to say it's downloaded by a brain. We do not know. And I, I think that it would be much more easy to lean towards the theory that it's a hypothesis, I guess I should say that's created by a brain. If consciousness was more just purely survival based if all we were trying to do the way they we assume simple cell organisms are though we aren't simple cell organisms we can't say for sure but it seems that their only goals are to eat survive and reproduce and i mean yeah we those are core parts of what we want to do and if we don't eat we die <laughs> so it's absolutely required but it's 
so much more complex and rich and and depth than that basic. I mean, consciousness is just such a complex thing that you know it's really much. It's not. It's not just a you know oh these neurons and material could create guarantee definitely would be the answer. So that was the big thing, and as well as just seeing how so much of the other aspects of the world work, like downloading content seems into a material object seems to be how things function in our world. Start going back in history to the radio, then to television, and now to the cloud and our phones and laptops. So that just seems to be how things work. So. I love that. And I love um, Julie's kind of piece of advice of follow the data. I would yeah. also say for those of us who are mediums, and I know there's other mediums who are joining us now, um, it's, and probably tuning in as well. It's following, for me, it was like following the data to corroborate what I was experiencing yeah. and following our body to trust what's happening and know what you know in your body. And so while Bruno, my husband, my late husband, and then other spirits within a couple, within a month of him passing was the first time another spirit came to me. And there was data in that I collected the, all of the information that they would give in their messages. And they were almost every time verified um, to very ex, um, extenses with the person to whom I passed on the message, who I understood who it was for. So it's like, yes, there's the data that this exists. Yes, there's the data that a particular mediumship reading or a mediumistic experience is valid. And then there's like the subjective data of, for particularly someone who's having one of these experiences or repeatedly over time, of what is your body telling you? And as, you know, quote unquote, crazy as it sounded to me that something like this could be going on, especially in my own body, especially in the context of grief and loss, especially in the context of what my whole world and reality has been obliterated. My body knew, my intuition knew that this was the realest thing that could ever be. It's like energy doesn't lie. You can't lie about emotions you can't lie about how that feels to yourself I mean you could try but like we just have this like this intuitive kind of um marker that says like yes no yes it's a barometer almost and so there's like objective and then there's subjective data as well so I imagine that some people are, who are tuning into this have had some experiences like that and even our own um experiences as we sit with mediums it's like do we believe this does this feel right and you know, if you sit with a medium, if it feels phony or not, and the energy too, in a reading, you can feel if it's like, whoa, this feels legitimate, or it feels like mm, they're totally making this up out of nowhere. And so like using tuning into the inner barometer. Yeah, not everyone. <laughs> it's not at all a medium. But that might everything you just said might not apply to everybody right yeah 100% but with the subjective data because the data is I mean I think I do have some of that feeling I think all of us have like some intuition like you'd be with a person be like oh I feel horrible with them or but you can be like oh I feel really at home with this person but I think there's some of us that have that very minimally in terms of yeah I mean I so I couldn't personally identify with what you were saying when you're like, it feels right. Like for me, I could tell mediums are full of shit. I just an aspect of telling because I could tell 
some were close to that. I was going to say just by them not getting anything accurate, but then there were some that were getting nothing accurate that I think were really genuine and kind-hearted yeah. and just weren't connecting with my person, or maybe they were a more spiritual than evidence-based person. Yeah. So th- they weren't getting what I required to believe, or I hate the word believe. I required to draw a conclusion that this they were gen- that they were genuinely connecting, and then you know. I, there were some that just no matter what I felt yeah. it was just they were saying fact after fact that they couldn't have known and I guess a game I like to play if you're someone who's more data driven than intuitive driven is try to figure out how else could they have done this start coming up with ways that they could have done this and you're just up against the wall I mean they could not have googled I'm like okay could they have done like facial recognition technology well no like first of all really this is a while ago 2016 2017 it wasn't what it is today but even now you can only find so much super expensive you know and I started to finally conclude I mean well first of all they knew things that even if you did an extensive google search there are things you just couldn't find out you couldn't find out that like my dad and I loved like a certain candy and I was five years old or you know things are just not Googleable aspects of like how my dad would speak or address situations, um, stuff that goes way back, like my grandmother's life. And yeah, or let's see, like my computer was broken for a week and I'm I wasn't posting that somewhere. I'm just getting my shit done. I'm not like my computer's broken, you know, <laughs> all over social media. I mean, why would I? And this medium who I sent I'm friends with her, but she didn't know who I was at this time disguise everything she just said oh your dad said your computers you know he knows it's being fixed they're gonna have it in a week like even if you did facial recognition technology I mean I guess you could see well we were on the phone so she couldn't see me and I was on a google voice number and she knew that but even if you would have to I mean maybe the best yeah you'd have to be like following me around with private detectives for two weeks and I started to realize (laughs) that yeah some of the mediums do well financially but if this was to be a con the con would be so, so good. It would be the best con that ever existed. It would be better than Bernie Madoff in his heyday. So none of them are making like 10 figures. I mean, if, so if they were that good, they would be making so much money. They'd be making like, I just, there's, I don't think, I mean, maybe a con artist exists that's that good. It would be like Bill Gates. I don't think he's a con artist by any means. I'm saying they would have to be that good that if, Bill Gates was a cutters, which I don't think he is. I, you know, that you they'd be so good that you would think they were this like billionaire genius and you wouldn't know they were conning you. So that's essentially what it came down to. I was like, this is just too good. They'd have to be like so much more financially successful than they are. They yeah. Uh, I love your brain. Whenever we talk, I'm like, God, Liz, yes, like brain kicks in. I love it. But it's like your constant. And what I love about your perspective is you're constantly thinking the counterfactual. Like, what else could it have been? And like from the medium's perspective, uh, especially when I was doing readings like 15 upwards a week. I mean, you just as a medium, you don't have time to think about like who who am I seeing on Friday at 9 a.m. I should Google like no. And from a, a legitimate 
legitimate medium's perspective, the less, at least for me, the, the less you know, the better, because you want a clean slate. I don't want anything in my mental mind to, to come into it, but, but we don't know that unless you're living, you're, you know, living as a medium or like our work here, your work and that you're doing when you are so uh, connected to working with mediums as well and studying their practice. But I would say most, most mediums, and I can say those um, who would probably be listening, Professional mediums is like, oh my goodness, I do not have time. I don't have the energy. I'm doing my best to clear my energy and just live a normal life day to day. <laughs> like, I don't want to know. <laughs> oh my goodness. So, okay, let's switch gears a little bit. So we clearly both are enamored with, or at least fascinated by the questions that come up around the afterlife. We both came into this by way of losing someone we love very much. Your father, my late husband, how has your work, and I, we'll both talk to this, but if, if you want to kick us off, how has your work as a researcher in the world of the afterlife affected your spirituality um, or even your belief system? And has it? Okay, so the, this is a multi-part answer. First of all, I'm not officially a researcher. I'm doing like re, I, research, I, like but yeah, I feel I want to keep like the word researcher for the professionals, you know, <laughs> like you, you know, I'm not trained the way you are. It's more researching on my own. Hence why I have a book like what the, called What the Fuck Just Happened instead of like a serious science, <laughs> you know, peer-reviewed journal published. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's no, yeah, WTF isn't necessarily going to be in an academic journal. However, right. it, it, but, this is so beautiful. You're bringing a whole other kind of <laughs> investigation but yeah. but yeah, thanks for making that distinction. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't want to disrespect you or any other serious researchers. Um, so I guess maybe I'm sort of like the in-between between researchers, between mediums and like regular people kind of like more like myself and, you know, so, okay. And then next part, how has it affected my spirituality? Um, that's, and then how does it affect my beliefs? Okay. So spirituality to say because I don't really identify as a spiritual person I identify as like this is like just sort of as like a bit of like a fact-based person but I would say that the fact seems to be that spiritual component is a very large part of what we actually are and how the world works so in that sense I think it's made me I'll take a lot more what would be called a spiritual approach. I do like meditations, like trying to go out of body. I mean, if I am, if factually we're getting, uh, there's a theory and I think there's something very strong to this that all of us are constantly downloading information. Some from like what would be called ourselves, some from like picking up cues from like, I hate using the word the universe, but like waves of like coming from maybe a, non other non-local consciousness you know there's Daryl Bem is a researcher who said we react to things like a few seconds before they happened they happen so there's some way we pick up things I mean I can go into a whole thing of theories of how this might work so and I think the more spiritual people are maybe more aware of where it's coming from so it's made me maybe a little more aware that a lot of my thoughts might be coming from something more than just my own brain neurons. It's made me see that there's a little more of like maybe an interconnected. I try to feel like energy waves in the world more. I notice 
I write down my dreams. I notice that sometimes my dreams come true. Um, so I just think we're all having more of an experience like that. That's just what being alive in the human body is. And I'm just more aware and try to interact with it more. And in terms of belief, um, I don't like the word belief. I try not to believe anything. I just think there's data that shows this. I try to, I'm sure I believe stuff. Like everyone believes stuff. And I think when you believe things strong enough, you're not even aware that you believe something. So you just, it's how it is in your mind. So I try to not believe things and um, as much as I can be aware of and just take the data and the data and ex- personal experiences and everything points towards survival of consciousness and non what I call not or what not me what the researchers call non-local consciousness I love that thank you yeah. I, I love what you say too about I, I don't it's being like very thoughtful with the term belief um, and even that contextualized with in sort of an evidence-based perspective um, I love that. And I guess that will, I'm going to let that weave itself in because that seems significant and poignant. Um, I think for me, it's, I've always been curious about something bigger. I wasn't raised in a religious or spiritual household. Um, I wasn't raised necessarily with a quote unquote belief system. I guess if I had a belief system, it was treat people well, be kind, do good, you know, be a good person, spread kindness, kindness, kindness. Um, And that's something I've always kind of just held close to heart, whether it's how I was raised and or just a kind of an innate part of me. When all of this opened up, and really, I have to back up and say it was about six months or so, maybe a bit longer before my late husband passed. And I just kind of came into this feeling of knowing or wanting to know that there was something more to life. Not even that there was an afterlife. But that I was in this very kind of high profile job in research and policy and on paper, it should have been great. And it was in real life. It wasn't feeling great. Um, And I just knew that there was something more. And I was like, I've worked so hard to get where I am in my career and in life and where my husband and I were. And I just started to ask these questions of myself of like, is this really all there is? is this really all there is? And I know that Bruno and I, my late husband and I, were having these conversations. And I think for him, he was starting to really uncover within himself, keeping it very private. Again, he passed by by ending his life. But I think for him, he started to go into those questions, contextualizing it and what he had lived through as a child and very traumatic things. And it was a very different experience for him. And he went inward. For me, it started to push me outward and just think about things like meditation and yoga and practices that could be looked at as like mind body for stress relief, which in the West, they very much are. But if we take it from a different perspective and fall into these practice from a body spiritual practice, it's almost like an opening to something else, a different way of being a transcendence, perhaps, if, if that's what the practice allows for. And as soon as Bruno passed in these experiences started happening and then other spirits started to come to me and I could document that and validate it. And then I began training as a medium and just seeing the profound impact that working with quote unquote spirit. So the spirit world or people who have passed away, but are communicating with us and seeing how impactful it was and feeling it in my own experience 
of knowing that that healing communication um, or that communication was healing and that connection is still so not only just alive, they're not just remnants of the past. Our people who are on the other side are evolving and growing and growing with us and seeing that the complexity of that growth and the synchronicity of growth together. I really started to trust from the data or believe, or at least understand maybe is the right word, that there is something much more and that this life and specifically this pain isn't all there is. In the research that I'm doing now, so I'm doing a few studies, both with some mediumship clients of mine over time, looking at how multiple mediumship readings, both with me and then other mediums, how that impacted their grief and their mental wellness over time. And those people aren't necessarily mediums, so they saw mediums. And then I'm also doing a study on people who, like me, their mediumship awoke in grief. And while there's many complexities and there's many, many, many more talks to come about the findings from these, one overarching takeaway from both of these studies is how healing and profound, not just in grief, but in pain under grief, and then experiences beyond grief, connection to a higher source by way of our loved ones is. And it's like, it's not just surviving through grief, which it is, especially for, as we know, in the very beginning, when there are days when it's like, I can't get out of bed, don't make me, I can't, I won't. It's impossible. If I brush my teeth today, like huge pat on the back, I've done my thing for the week. We know this, we've been there. Some days we still might be like, maybe not, but there were those days, right? Definitely been there. Oh God. Yeah. 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 So hard. It's so like, there, there are no words for the complexity of acute loss and proximate loss of your person. And then over time, knowing and feeling like there's a physiological healing that happens when we connect to our loved one on the other side, be it through a mediumship reading, like you can feel it. It's like an elation. That plus the information, plus the almost like knowledge, wisdom, little like crumbs put on our path of what's to come. It starts to open us up to something that is so beyond what the cognitive mind can understand and even plan out for us. It's so beyond what the thinking mind can say, this is what's going to, it's not about fixing and getting better. It's not, and that doesn't happen. Grief is not an illness to get better from. It's not about like becoming who we were again. It's about letting unfold, I feel, where this path is leading us towards. And oftentimes grief is an opening of that. Yeah, you mean grief, like opening us to where we're supposed to be or opening us to like this profound, I don't know. Yeah, because I definitely think it's weird like certain ways my life is so much better and certain ways it's so much worse like yeah. I miss my dad all the time there's an ache and most of the time it's just sort of integrated in part of who I am but you know at, the, at this point it wasn't like that early but it's also like it'll just be like waves at moments and that's probably gonna last the rest of my life I would guess and and another way my life's so much better first of all thinking that we survived bodily death, like this existential dread that I didn't realize like how much it was weighing me down is gone. My friendships are deeper. I feel I'm much more on a purposeful path in life. Like I was having fun before, but there was an emptiness that 
And I feel people I'm connecting with, there's, they have a, they have more of a depth. Yeah, just there's like more of a depth. It's just like a different, it's hard to put into words. It's a different feeling within and much more myself, much happier. While at the same time, there's like this huge pain I didn't have before and grief really has opened that up and it's opened up like I mean as well just literally really opening up this evidence to me and yeah opening up like facts that transform my life in a more purposeful life mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know and I think thank you for articulating that I think I kind of wove that in because and for both of us really our experience with the afterlife and perhaps like a spiritual perspective is so interwoven in grief and loss mm-hmm. they're not for 100%. us we can't parse them apart. They are so embedded. And that's the case for many of us who come into this world of afterlife investigation, research, practice, experience, whatever it may be. It opened up because we lost someone who is now in the afterlife. Um, Mm -hmm. But thank you so much for pointing that out, that these are separate experiences. Afterlife, spirituality, this perspective may in fact be in some way interwoven with grief and loss, but it's not necessarily it's not like a requirement, I guess. It's not, that's not one in the same. And that's very important. That's a very important distinction. I think that's important for two reasons, at least. One, to have this perspective of there's something bigger where our loved ones are here with us. We don't necessarily have to have lost someone in a way that we're trying to communicate with. All of us have and this incredible, perhaps we call it a team, or at least we know that we have access to this world of the afterlife. Um, And it's important because at some point we all will lose someone because that's the nature of a human being. Yeah. It's, I mean, unless you pass away very young yourself, Mm -hmm. the effort, it's a hundred percent of us are going to either lose somebody or live a very short life. And even in that case, you're still affected by grief because your parents have been affected by it. You know, I mean, yeah, it's, it's just, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it, I find that a little, one thing I just find a little odd about you, at least our culture that I don't really get is it's such a taboo. People are so uncomfortable. People are so in denial. People are like, you have grief. It's like, oh, move past it, move past it, deny, don't, you know, like sweep under the rug, avoid. But it's something, what's weird about that to me is that it's something a hundred percent of us deal with it throughout eternity there hasn't been one living creature that doesn't die and isn't affected by death so it's just it's so weird to me how our society is so uncomfortable with it I I don't I mean that's a whole other thing to like delve into and I haven't delved into it that much aside from like not in a productive way aside from like bitching about stupid stuff people say which can be very comforting but beyond that, I haven't delved into it more than like how say this stupid thing and like bonding with my friends over it, <laughs> my grief friends. But yeah, it's something. It's it's confusing. I don't I don't understand. I yeah. guess why we're so bad at as a like as a society. It's something that everyone has been through or will go through. Yeah, I think my take on that. And then we can move to our next question before Q&A. Yeah. My thought is, we're, at least in our culture, in Western U.S., mm-hmm. our society, 
we're so used to wanting to fix something, wrap it up, make it better and move on. And we use that same approach, almost like a project management approach to emotional discomfort and perhaps the most uncomfortable and let's not uncomfortable. It's like obliterating thing is the loss of somebody that you love. And there's nothing that can really be said to make it better because it needs to be as it is. It's like, there's, there's nothing that anyone could say that would make the fact that my husband died in our thirties out of the blue better. Like what, what can you say? And it's more like, I just told people, and we're getting a little off topic, but again, I'm sure a lot of people listening are coming to this world by way of grief. They just said, send me a heart emoji. Or if you come over, if you're near me, just hold my hand. That's all I want. That's all I need. Mm-hmm. And we don't need to say something and fix it and make it better. And I think for me, like the big shifts happened by way of my own connection to both my pain and my body and my human experience and mm-hmm. this paralleled experience of opening up to my newfound communication and connection with my husband on the other side. And then from him, my, I've gotten to know ancestors that I didn't even know. It's amazing. But yeah, it's, it's uh-huh. like me. We suck at letting it be. We're terrible at letting it be. Right, right. I guess it's true. It's like you have grief and everyone wants to fix it. And you're like, if that worked, great. But it almost feels like they want you to perform that you're okay, even more than they want to fix it. At least, yeah. I mean, I feel like I am finding, I've found different friends that maybe are more comfortable with this, but I felt there was a huge percent of the people in my life were more concerned with my performance. Mm-hmm. than how I really felt. Yeah. Yeah. I think with, when we go through anything traumatic, including mm-hmm. and perhaps maybe, especially, I don't know, the loss of a loved one who we keep close, that group gets smaller and tighter, smaller mm-hmm. and deeper. Very much. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Different. And different. There's some different, there's some different people. Yeah. yeah. That is a, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So last question, perhaps that we can dig into, and then we'll turn it over to everyone who's joined. What advice would you give to someone who is exploring the afterlife for their own interests, perhaps their own lived experience? What advice would you give them of how to get started and how to even fold it into their lives? So the very first piece of advice would be what I said in the beginning is Taking in that line by Dr. Julie Beichel, um, this just follow the data, put aside again, I'm misquoting her, but the concept, what if we put aside any preconceived notions and just look at the data and facts, pretend you know nothing about whether there's an afterlife or not and have no opinion on the matter. And if you find yourself going in and being like, oh, this can't be true. Just put it aside. Say, okay, that's fine. I'll evaluate it later. Like, I'll, I'm giving myself this specific time frame to even pretend to play a game that I don't have an opinion. And that helped with me if you're as skeptical as I was. Then I would just, oh my God, there's so much. Just re, start with the studies, start with reading. I think University of Virginia is a great place to start. The Winbridge Institute, the Forever Family Foundation. Start just, I, I would also read across topics because I think 
that's one of the things that really comes together for me is that there's so many different areas. And when you put them together, they have a common thread, near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences, mediumship, um, remote viewing. Yeah, you put Forever Family Foundation. Uh, they are, they've been my rock. They were one of, I volunteer with them. They become like my family. And yeah, I'm friends um, with co-founders of Winbridge, Mark Bukitsky and Dr. Rachel are amazing people. Very, very smart. And yeah, so read all the data and then kind of some personal experiences. Get medium readings. Hide your identity. Completely hide it. And you'll be amazed. Try different kinds of medium experiences. Do a phone. Do an in-person. Go to a group one. Take classes at the Rhine Education Center and the Rhine Institute are great. Um, take different kinds of classes. Take ones that are more book-based for your reading, everything. Then take experiential ones. There's classes on going out of body. There are classes on experiencing remote viewing and just absorb and experience. Oh, and if you want a good overview, a really great overview to get started too is Dr. Um, Jeffrey Nisloff just had a prize-winning essay, a full overview of afterlife evidence. That's a good place to start, look, and start delving into all the stuff he touches upon. He just touches upon so much. And then this has been going on for years and years. There's so much history. If you start looking way back, I believe in the 1800s, the Society of Cyclical Research, just wonderful researchers back then. And I just know there starts to be a lot of threads and a lot of consistencies. And I mean, I was, someone said this to me early on or said this in general about people early on. I didn't believe it because again, I'm not really, especially like a, a spiritual person. If you really delve in, you will start having really weird experiences. And I did not think that was even an option, but I've had some personal, very weird experiences. And when you kind of can experience it yourself too, it makes you able to process the information in another way. So that's my advice. And Amazing, amazing advice. And we popped in the chat here, Forever Family, Winbridge, Ryan Institute, and their website. So do check those mm-hmm. out. Yeah, I just want to Flag oh, them. Dr. Jeffrey, Dr. Mishloff, just if you Google him, um, you'll find all this stuff. I'll write it here. Amazing. Wait, uh, let me put it in. Right, messaging you. Wait, okay. Yeah, Google him. Excellent. Yes, Dr. Mishloff. Perfect. So I would say just adding to that, like, yes, oh my goodness, the research is abundant. Um, I'll also add in there is an organization that I've recently become. Um, associated with or I'm getting to know I'm speaking at um, a conference of theirs and spoke at one a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago the parapsychology yeah. or parapsychological association this okay. is from the field of mental health um, and um, paranormal experiences so psychology paranormal and this is really looking at kind of the psychology around um, both um, experiences with mediumship, afterlife, et cetera, and also in a clinical mental health um, relationship, what that looks like, like how do paranormal experiences unfold? Um, so obviously as a social worker, I'm very interested in, in that. So I would echo what you say, listen, thanks so much for dropping. There's another Society for Scientific Exploration conference in July, the Parapsychological Association, their annual conference is coming up in August, both of this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say, yes, there's just, it's like a thread. And once you start to pull it, it's like this huge 
ball of yarn just starts to unravel and there's corroboration and 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 also some beautiful differences but by and large i mean the data over time it equals out and the variation of course gets smaller and smaller and we start to see these incredible patterns i'm seeing in the own my own research that i'm doing i would add to aside from dig into the research and keep your own paper trail of the work that you're doing um, in terms of where you've gone, you know, documenting your own experiences. And then I'd also say triangulate that with, again, the feeling, being a very like somatic focused social worker, very somatic focused practitioner, tune into how you feel going through these experiences, especially if you start to have, like Liz said, like you're having dreams that come true. It's very easy to wake up in the morning and think like, eh, that was a weird dream and write it off. It's very mm -hmm. easy to have an experience where you receive a sign from a loved one and you say, oh, that wasn't anything. That was a weird coincidence. Mm -hmm. Feel into what the emotions were when you had that experience. Feel into the energy of it. What did it do for you? When I receive a, you know, what I take to be a sign from my husband, I contextualize it of, okay, what does this sign mean in terms of my life? And there can be really profound insight and depth that can be very healing when we start to give weight to feeling like, oh my gosh, I think I just had an experience, even if it's a whisper, even if it's a second. And of course, being a researcher, I document this all. Um, I have, I'm going to drop it here. Um, I have an extensive list of resources, both for grief healing and various forms of trauma healing, but also places mm -hmm. to find more research and information and also where to practice. If um, if you're looking into developing your own mediumship, that's there. It's drlenormatthew.com backslash resources. And then also on my website, I have um, in my blog and then in some of the articles that I've published, um, you'll see there that I've written about things like how do we make sense of science and how do we understand this from both an intuitive, but also an objective and more scientific lens. Um, so those are there as well. So I guess, yeah, just wrapping it up. It's for me, it's the, the data, it's the data and the subjective feelings and kind of using those to have a conversation within ourselves. And for me, it was, I know what I feel is valid and the data says that it is too. So two for two, I'm feeling good about it, but it was both of yeah. those. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Sorry for yawning. I'm not bored. I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good thing. Our yeah. nervous systems are yeah. equalizing. You're in Paris. Okay, beautiful. Okay. You're Vegas nervous happy. I'm yawning when I'm, I always yawn when I'm not even bored at all. I'm like, oh, God, it seems so weird. <laughs> that, that's a good sign. That's a good sign. It means your body is in a place where you're getting some oxygen and you're good. Um, <laughs> you're like, I'll take it. Um, yeah. No, right. <laughs> That's so bad. Great. Yes. Before we turn it over for Q and A, Liz, is there anything that you'd like to add? Um. No. I feel like I've had a chance to really say what I want to say. You know, and I feel like you gave great information too. So yeah, I can't really think of anything else. Okay. Beautiful. We might pop in with some with a few other things. So let's go ahead and open it up for questions. Um, if you don't want to go on camera, please feel free or either way, please um, feel free to drop your questions in the chat box. If you do want to go on camera, perhaps just add that in 
uh, with your question or, or just, or you could even specify if your question, just capitalize read only something like that. Just so we know, um, again, this is being recorded and it will be shared. So if you go on camera, it will be shared. So any questions at all, please feel free and drop it in the chat. You ever wonder what mediums do with their free time? How about a 30-something-year-old gay medium living in New York City? Well, in this podcast, you're about to find out. Welcome to Ghost Daddy, a place where LGBTQ plus spiritual people and our cis-hetero allies, of course, have a place to just be themselves and spread their wisdom. This is the new face of spirituality. None of that love and light, toxic positivity crap. So pour yourself a vodka soda, <laughs> open up your mind, and start listening. You can listen to the Ghost Daddy podcast anywhere where you listen to podcasts. Do you enjoy puzzles? But are you tired of the same old boring puzzles? Mix things up with Wongo puzzles. Each puzzle is a custom design with intricate patterns and whimsical shapes that will keep you engaged for hours. Plus, I personally really love this aspect. Their eco-friendly materials and commitment to sustainability make Wongo puzzles a guilt-free way to unwind. And they also are really great gifts for people. I just got one for my mom. I got one for my friend and they're enjoying them so much. And here are some of the things I love so much about Wongo puzzles. They're 100% wooden puzzles. They'll last forever. Each piece is hand-drawn, so no two pieces are the same. And you'll discover some fun, whimsy pieces as you work through it. They come in a custom wooden box, which is perfect for storage and gifting. My two favorite puzzles, personally, were the snow globe and the turtle. They're just really colorful, really fun, and I finished them both in a night. It's just like losing myself in that meditative state. And I really hadn't done puzzles since I was a kid. I'd forgotten how much I liked them. So what are you waiting for? Go to wongopuzzles.com and pick your puzzle today. And be sure to use the promo code WTFJustHappened to get 10% off your order. This is the most fun you've had with a puzzle, guaranteed, or your money back. Go to W-O-N-G-O puzzles.com and use the code WTF just happened to get 10% off your order and get puzzling right now. You're comfortable even raising a hand that's open as well. No questions. I guess we did a good job explaining everything. <laughs> Are there any, um, oh, we have one here. And actually, I might put the question out that I was going to ask, and we'll let it marinate and come back to it. Um, out of curiosity, are there any, you know, experiences that you've had perhaps with the afterlife that you even want to contextualize or get 
thoughts on um, and happy to, to kind of bring that into group discussion. If, you know, there's something you're curious about, of like, was that real? Was it valid? So perhaps we can throw that out if that speaks to anybody. Um, oh, thank you, Jill. Wanted to say hi. Thank you. We all just appreciate you. Thank you for joining. Um, Nikki says absorbing, very interesting, lots to think about and consider. Yes, lots to think about. Um, okay, so we have a question. What recommendations do you have for how to choose a medium to see? That's an excellent question. So thank you so much for bringing that up. Liz, do you want to jump in first? Because I know you've given me really good advice on that before. Yeah, I mean, I just say a little bias and go to the Forever Family Foundation, Winbridge as well. They have to pass science-based testing to get certified. I have gone to a few mediums that are not part of either that were still amazing, but it's a more reasonably safe bet because they've passed testing where they have to get highly accurate information under strict controls. The emphasis is on them getting evidence. I know some mediums at times will say they believe more in giving messages of love than evidence. I want evidence. And Forever Family and Winbridge, they focus really hard on having mediums that give evidence. So that's the advice I have for finding a medium. Um, you know, just go down the web the list and see if there's one that resonates with you. See how you feel in terms of like where they're based. Do you, is it important to you to have it in person? That obviously would limit who you can go to. Do you not care? Is it better to have it on the phone if you don't want them to see you? That's totally valid as well. And then I believe in taking protocols because you'll always wonder if you don't take them, even though I 100% stand by these mediums at Forever Family or Winbridge, I know, like, if you don't take the protocols, you'll just always wonder. So hide your identity, use a Google voice, use a fake name, have a friend, not a family member, pay and pay your friend back. Um, yeah, do everything you can just to completely hide your identity. So then you don't, you, you just won't wonder, you won't have that like little nagging voice in the back of your head, like, well, maybe. So that's that's my advice. So I would add to that. So I took a very different approach when I was looking for a medium and it really worked for me. Um, and it's I asked and I felt into my gut and my relationship with my husband. And I. Uh, it's it's wild. I laugh about it because I'm sitting here like this mediumship stuff is wild. I don't believe it. Bruno, this is crazy. Well, I'm talking to my deceased husband about it. So, okay, that's, you know, in and of itself, it's wild. Um, but I would say there are two different ways that I use, and I agree with Liz. It's like, yes, definitely vetted um, mediums is a way to go. Another kind of path, and again, it worked for me, was feeling into in my own just kind of exploration online of mediums who I just knew in my gut that they were right for me. And likewise, from referrals and asking people that you love, even like putting it out in you know, a message of like, has anyone seen a medium that you trust? Did you have a good experience with a medium? And feeling into that doesn't necessarily mean that it will be you know a great fit for you. Perhaps it is, perhaps it isn't. Uh, but just kind of having even just like ask people where they go. Um, most when I was doing readings, almost every single person that I saw, again, I was doing like 15 upwards a week. It was, they were all referrals. And oftentimes it was, there were three general kind of groups of people that I would see, um, widows. So obviously people who 
felt that they saw or trusted something in our relationship because I could speak to what it's like having a partner on the other side. Second, a lot of suicide loss, which again, similarly. Um, and then the third, people who would find me because they wanted somebody who was quite scientific and so very evidential and I'm trained in, in an evidential perspective. Um, now that I'm not doing readings, I refer people that I know and trust and have vetted from my own practice um, and people who I've seen who have given me amazing readings. Um, and I think what that does is it kind of opens up through, and it's, again, it's a more subjective vetting process. There hasn't been a standardized test that everyone has taken. And I think that there's some validity and credibility in that. Again, it is more subjective, yes, uh, but it's also based on how did you feel? How did this work for you? I will say, though, that I have seen a medium who is highly vetted, and it did not go very well for me. It was super evidential, and they're beautiful. But like the end of my, I could feel my husband hesitating and the medium even said, your husband's very shy. And I was like, no, he's not like, no, like when he's talking about this, this and it's just that the energy wasn't there. And I get that because as the medium, I've been there too. When we bring someone in from the other side, when they come forward, there's very much like a, a kind of a sizing each other up. Like, am I comfortable around you? Do I feel good? And that's from, you know, the spirit person's perspective. And it makes sense. Like not everybody's going to like one person, not everybody's going to like super blend and get along right off the bat. I found it really fascinating as I saw a lot of repeat clients when I was doing one-on-one -on -one readings, it was when the loved one came in again, it was like seeing an old friend. And sometimes they would then come to me in their own meditations. And we, I was like, oh, this is, well, okay, we're all getting to really know each other really well. Um, but that's how it is now when my husband comes through and I see mediums who, who know me and who know him, they know him just like I know some of my previous clients, loved ones as well. And so it very much is when, as a medium, I say my job is to be a translator in a language that I speak. And that language happens to be speaking spirit. I also speak Portuguese and Spanish and a little bit of French and Italian. So it's like one of the other languages that I speak. And not every person that I'm translating for in Portuguese is going to be like, I really like her. I want to spend an hour and a half with her. Some are going to be like, okay, I'm here. What do you need me to do? And some people are like, oh, this is great. I love your energy. Let's, you know, we're vibing, that kind of thing. And so there are these, uh, again, very like difficult isms, I suppose, of the relationship that are hard to pinpoint. But I do feel like asking people how the mediums that they have seen um, worked for them is one way to kind of take that into account. Two different approaches, I guess, totally. depending. Two totally different approaches. So like, really, again, that just goes back to I guess, saying like, what it's also individual, just like Grace, you know, what one approach might resonate with you more than the other. And I also, I mean, it's saying getting referrals too. Yeah. I mean, I, we're going to have a different approach in this. I wasn't going to ask my friends, but I reached out to a scientist whose book I like who was studying this and she gave me a name. And it's interesting because it sounds like you found the one that was just completely right for you. And quote unquote, coincidentally, I found, I couldn't have found better for my two. And very oddly, I found two first and have with just like so oddly perfectly the perfect path because the first one was the one I had my first reading with she's actually not part of forever family or Winbridge I found her just I was like I'm gonna go to like 100 mediums and just do so much data and research and evaluate it which is just her clipboard yeah yeah, yeah. So she was the first one and wasn't again for Winbridge I was only at this point even before I knew forever family so I was only going to do Winbridge 
she was so 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 evidential turns out she's friends with like I don't know what this medium now from Trevor family has become like my best friend Joe Paretta and Joe was like wait you went to this woman I'm just not saying her name because she doesn't do it anymore and she doesn't mark it so she had this short period of time she was doing it and Joe's like she cares she's like oh I don't care anything about the motions love none of that she's like my only purpose of doing this is evidence just give evidence 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 she's like I can't think of a better medium for you and then I love that she's not part of Forever Family or anything because I'm never going to see her again. So this, as you get to know people, you know, kind of like blends in with your first memory of them. So I have this kind of like flawless memory of this totally transformative moment, experience, like hour of my life that just, I don't have words for it, it was so profound. And if I got to know her socially, like it would blend. And I, I just love that. It's absolutely this little, like, absolutely astounding piece of my life, totally untouchable. Now, the second medium, I actually reached out to her before the one I had the reading with. She just has an astronomical weight loss, and I'm still on it, long story, but we've become friends. So it's like, I, I mean, actually, I used to dismiss getting any readings from mediums who are friends, but then I have at times, and they've gotten stuff that still, they just get different stuff, and it's still very evidential, which is really interesting. But we become friends. But like, what's crazy with her is um, the she she introduced me to my mentor, who sadly passed away, but was like one of the most important people in my life. Actually, the couple who became my mentors, the founders of Forever Family, Fran and Bob Ginsburg, and Fran was like my everything. And like, you know, I feel like she was like my second mom, and sadly she passed. But husband Bob's almost like dad, uncle to me, and so you know, he's still a very important part of my life. So yeah. So it's just, I was like, I couldn't think of better because of her. I got to meet, and I've gotten to meet other really important people through her. Like, I can say, like, just some people I've been like obsessed with meeting, like Dr. Jeff Torrent. Now, like, I'm like, oh my God, I'm like, you know, Dr. Jeff Torrent, like, getting to know all his work, you know. So he stands, you know, because there's like this weird emotional feeling about the researchers that, to me, it was the researchers primarily that you know you read in the early days of grace and it's like these people you haven't met and you're just reading this data and you're like oh my god could they possibly be real people could this possibly be true because are they cons but like they're just like your absolute lifeline like you haven't met these people but they're just like whole for me like holding you together giving you all hope the only reason I'm like like able to like even I, I, I don't want to say able to function because I wasn't able to function but just like my absolute little little bit of light in the darkest of moments so then there's something about finding there was like a few finding those people and then meeting them you know like Dr. Julie Baisha was one of them you know finding out Dr. Jeff Tarrant like scanned mediums brains and was getting results like all these so you know getting to meet some of those people it's just it's very it is a emotional component. They meet them, you're like, oh, I mean, yeah, you're really smart. And that's not what you do, but you're also like a real person. There's something funny about that too, you know? Yeah, our community is, it's everything, especially yeah. very vulnerable kind of opening. 
We have, I have a direct message that, um, question that I'll, or, that I'll read out. So um, this person said, I'm 18 months into the grief experience and doing so much learning with podcasts, reading online books, attending seminars and groups. You're both so right that there's so much information and data. Um, yes, there is. Oh my goodness. Um, mm -hmm. And to that end, I feel like I just don't have time for everything that I want to delve into. And then I feel bad about this. Do you have a suggestion on perhaps a simpler or brief way to connect in my routine? Um, I guess I'll kick this off if that's okay. Um, so how, yes, I mean, I, I feel like this was a 24 seven job for me when this opened on top of like life and, and grief and surviving. And also we actually have to live a human life like jobs and bills and rent and all of these things, right? So I think for the first kind of, from a social work perspective, piece that I would offer isn't even about the research. It's giving yourself space and self-compassion and love for everything that you're going through. And in my grief, and I still do sometimes, and in my research as well, I would take a pause. And if I felt like, am I doing enough? I've got to do more. Like, I've got to understand more. I need to honor my husband. I need to honor my, like all of these things. I would stop and I would say, what would I say to a close girlfriend of mine who was having the same experience? Would I tell her, read 10 more books this month. You better do it. And like, you better like get, no, I would say, give yourself space to breathe and process and Grief also includes rest. Grief also includes doing other things that are away from this. And then we come back and we have fresh breath to dive into all of this. So it's the first part would just be self-compassion. Dr. Kristen Neff, um, who has nothing to do with after afterlife research. She's all about self-compassion. I love her work. I still love her work, but her work, especially her meditations were so clutch for me. So important, especially in that first year, year and a half, two years of grief of, I would just listen to self-compassion meditations all the time. And I still do. And that gave me space to make space for this. And then from there, I would say just following your intuition and your gut of what interests you in this world of afterlife research. I mean, it'd be the same if all of a sudden we all have an interest in uh, biochemistry and it's like, it's infinite the amount of books and papers and people. And we, in five lifetimes, we probably couldn't read everything there is under the sun about biochemistry. The same goes for afterlife research. And so it's like knowing that this is woven into our grief and loss, holding space and kindness and love for ourselves as we unpack that. And just knowing that and trusting in some way that there is something guiding you a thread guiding in some way through all of the kind of ways and the infinite number of ways that you can go forward, kind of putting on your path, the things that you um, need to read or may serve you. And I say need in quotations, it's almost like, okay, soul, like put it in front of me, show me what I need to do, what I need to know, show me what's, what's next. Um, and just trusting that whatever's in front of you is exactly as it's supposed to be. That's really much. Yeah, that's really nice. Um, I have. I can offer a little totally different approach. I wish I'd. Uh, I feel like you should go on talking because yours was so beautiful and emotional, but it's like a little more like. But hope it helps. Audiobooks and podcasts on double speed. Like I listen. Maybe I'm a New Yorker. I listen to things really fast, and that's how my brain processes. If you can do it, you get more information. 
this white crow theory, which I'll expand on why I'm saying that. Um, William James, um, brother of the author Henry James, and I believe late 1800s, early 1900s, studied the medium Leonora Piper. And he said, um, I'm butchering the quote, but this is a concept. In order to disprove the theory that all crows are black, all you need is one white crow. So to hear two mind-blowing cases of kids with past life memories studied by a, science, by a child psychiatrist at the University of Virginia, you can hear two cases. You can listen to one of Dr. Jim Tucker's books or one interview with him. You don't need to listen to a thousand cases. Same with near-death experiences. Like they're all kind of saying the exact same thing again and again and again in different stories. I'm so obsessed and now I'm like writing about it that I want to hear a thousand cases of kids with past life memories. But you can hear two from the same person with the same level of credentials. Same with near-death experiences. Dr. Bruce Grayson, he's uh, also a valid psychiatrist, part of the University of Virginia. He studies near-death experiences, and he lists some of the most evidential ones. You can listen to an audiobook on like double speed or one and a half speed or an interview, and yeah, here are two stories instead of 30. You're, it, you're still getting the same concept. You don't need to, like, it doesn't matter if you, even if this happened four times instead of a thousand, you can just hear, okay, this happened a thousand. But even if it didn't, if it happened four times, there, there you go. That's already evidence that something absolutely inexplicable is going on. So that's what I would say. And, you know, while you're, I don't know where you live, if you're somewhere where you like take public transportation or somewhere where you drive, either way, audiobook. Again, Dr. Jeffrey Mishloff, he does a great summary of everything. If you know, um, listen to that. If you ever took a class at the Rhine, you know, you can also audit the class. You don't have to do all the homework for it because that's time consuming, but you'll get, you know, you just get a very condensed selected resources. So you can even put the papers into an app so you can listen to them and, you know, while you're doing your dishes. Um, I don't know your personal life, but like picking up your kids, um, walking your dog, cleaning, um, you're listening. So that that's my take. So too, I say again, we're going from like different approaches, but when you, I think when you put that together, yeah, I hope I hope that helps. I know mine didn't have the emotional beauty of yours. It was, but I hope that this is like tips you can do something with. <laughs> No, it's beautiful. It's like, what do you get when you put a social worker and a New Yorker together on a podcast? <laughs> like, this is how you do it and do it right. And like, do yeah. it pragmatically. And, like, and this is how you feel it. Yeah. Listen to things on fast. <laughs> That's my New Yorker advice. No, I love it. I do. Like, I love New York. Um, we have another direct question here. So it's, I've heard on podcasts or read from other mediums that grief can impact a reading or make it more difficult to receive messages. So the advice is, and so then in turn, the advice is to wait X number of months after the death, et cetera, or one's feelings are less raw. Has this been your experience? Um, sorry, has this been your experience at all or any thoughts on this? Um, so if it's okay, I can kick us off with and give perspective on both my own experience as someone who's seeing mediums as someone in grief, but also as a medium. Um, so I would say as a medium, I have had some readings with sitters and sitter is the client, right? 
And even with people in spirit who are at a place in their grief where it's only going to go so far. And I can feel as a medium, and I know for the mediums who are joining here, I, I imagine they might say the same, but if not, also please feel free to, to share your opinion. I would love to hear it. Uh, I know everybody would. Um, I can feel if someone is very closed off and that does impact the energy. As a medium, I've got to work a little extra or sometimes a lot extra to get past that. In my experience, I will say I haven't gotten many readings or had many sitters rather that come to me who are very, very closed. For some reason, the people that come to me usually are, even if they've never seen a medium before, and even if they're very skeptical, the energy is there. And again, it's usually because there's a commonality because they're also a widow or there's also suicide loss um, or they're also a scientist in some way. And so there's almost like some sort of a vibration that matches. Um, in terms though of a hard line of you have to wait X amount of months um, or you even have to wait you know, X amount of time before it, the energy shifts. In my experience, I don't think that there is a hard line. In my experience as now turning to the side as a, of a sitter, it's like I always kind of knew when it was time to see a medium again. And it was there was something in me that shifted in my grief. And it's almost like I wanted to see a medium to help me unpack it and understand it. But I'd already had the insight myself of like, I know that I'm that something is moving. I don't quite understand it. I'm going to go very closed lips. I was like the worst client, especially in my first year of mediumship readings. I would go and not say anything. I was a terrible person, I'm sure, to read for because I was like the antithesis of like a warm, fuzzy, you know, was what it was. I'm just kidding. Um, but I was very closed lipped. Um, that said. There are, from shifting back to the medium seat again, when I see someone, when I was doing one-on-ones, when I see a client repeatedly, and I can tell, like, some time has elapsed, and that might be a couple months, it might be a year, I can feel if there have been some shifts on their side in their healing and perhaps in their understanding of their grief as is playing out in their life. And that tends to make the relationship more fluid, this triangle conversation between me, the person, and spirit, and them. And the really cool thing about, again, being a researcher and, and medium all in one, is I can see longitudinally the changes, not just in the sitter, but I can see it in the person and spirit. Their, their, their energy, the person's spirit, feels lighter. They talk about things and they can give evidence around what they're doing on the other side. And then they'll validate that by like throwing in, like you said, like my, your laptop is getting fixed. So they'll talk about what they're doing and then they'll say like, oh, by the way, don't forget to fix your, your back right tires, things like that. to so like give some sort of objective validation around what they're saying. Um, but I, I don't believe that someone has to be like a year out or six months out from their grief to see a medium. I saw my uh, my first medium after six, six, six weeks after my husband passed, and I just felt like it was right. Um, so just know that our energy as a sitter does impact to some extent the relationship. Um, and so there are things that we can do as a sitter to be prepared for that conversation to perhaps help open it up. So we can go in with no expectations about what we want to hear because spirits and our loved ones on the other side are coming almost preemptively with what they know that they will share. When my husband was coming through to mediums, it was a very gradual process of what even I knew with my own mediumship and then what he would share with mediums. And if he had told me everything about his passing that 
A, I intuitively figured out, but then B, mediums could validate even a year and a half after. If I knew that right away, it would have been way too much. And I don't think even he understood everything to that extent at the six-week mark. And so just kind of trusting the process, knowing that information will be revealed as it is, um, as it's kind of meant to be in line with our own healing, in line with our loved one's healing on the other side. Does that kind of help? I hope it does. If not, please send another message and happy to, to, to chat further. But um, okay, yes, thank you. Awesome, beautiful. Um, is there anything, Liz, you want to add to that? I mean, I don't really feel I know what to add. I waited over six months, not like intentionally, just the first medium I had the reading with said you have to have a six month wait list. I hadn't even reached out that shortly after my loss because I didn't really believe mediumship or even I didn't even know it really I didn't have the word or vocabulary for it. I was sort of reading like, oh, these people can feel dead people and now they're scientists studying it. Um and then this the other medium, I mean, has like really long wait list because I'm still on it. I definitely say her name because she's not the one not taking readings anymore. Or she actually her wait list is closed, but she has events. That's Laura Lynn Jackson. She's wonderful. The other one, yeah, I'm just, uh, she doesn't, she's not doing the work anymore and apparently doesn't want people giving her name. So I'll obviously respect that. And the one who got the um, computer, her name's Joanne Gerber. So, but there's others I know that are great. Just want to make sure I give shout outs to all my like mediums that are so wonderful out there. So, <laughs> um. amazing. There's one more question that, um, that I'll read that was a DM. Um, okay, let me see here. I've had some personal experiences, like hearing the voice of my loved one in spirit, validating signs, visitation dreams, etc. But as time goes on, these things are happening less often. Do you have any advice for how we can work to connect with our loved ones on our own more freely? Yeah. Do you want to take that one first, Liz? Or do you want me to? Um, okay, so you mentioned, am I right that you said you were getting dreams that have shut down? Are they in my Facebook for dreams? Write them down. When I start writing down my dreams, I start remembering them so intensely. They just grow and grow and grow. It's like when I start writing them, like day one and week one, you'll see like, I think there was like a red car. And then like next month, it's like six paragraphs. And it's like, you know, like, Two weeks later, it's like two paragraphs. It's just more and more and more. And I'll remember three dreams. They get so vivid. And that's when I started to notice some of them start coming true. I mean, nothing like fantastic. It's like I had a dream that my gym was going to be like giving out juices. And then they were. I'm like, okay, I would have wanted somewhere. I mean, so that's so cool. Because like, I'm, I'm joking. I say I'd have rather gotten like the lottery or something. It's, I mean, I, yeah, I would have. But nevertheless, it's showing how time works, which is really what I want, which is why I love the mundane. Um, Others, there are classes. There's, I would look at again, it, I mentioned Dr. Jeffrey Torrance. He talks about the neuroscience of helping work with your brain um, to do that. Um, meditations, out of body experiences. Um, I would take some mediumship classes, even if you're not a medium, you can just sort of get a feel for what some of the exercises are like. I've taken mediumship classes, and I think. Everyone can tell today from the way I've spoken, I'm not the most spiritual person. <laughs> All of that. Um, yeah, write down things you think are signs. You can uh, conclude that it wasn't a sign that was a coincidence, but write down. Also, I'll just, I'm going to say one thing about signs because in the beginning, 
Um, this might help also see communication. I sort of dismiss it. You know, people are like, oh, it's a butterfly. That means your loved one's a butterfly. Or like, oh, how can they manifest? Let's say like, okay, let's say your sign I put in my book. I should disguise the signs a little just because um, I want to keep my readings evidential. But I called like this one toy I had that my dad and I had a like games with when I was little. I called it like a purple rabbit. And so, oh, so they're going to just manifest a purple rabbit. Like, it's more like if you, they might be like, hey, go down this street instead of the other. And look, 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 there's a, there's a purple rabbit, remember? Or um, like directing a bird or butterfly. They don't become a bird or butterfly. There's some way if those species apparently use like energy waves to direct themselves and they can be like communicating with them, like go that way, go that way, hang out on my loved one's shoulder. So it's like, if you understand that it's not as like, extreme and kind of like no that can't really happen level there's ways they can do it um that's so I think yeah that, that's the advice I have about communicating and yeah I think finding meditations that work for you like I think listening to binaural beats helps um yeah yeah I would echo that um meditation daily it's both part of our healing, especially if we're opening up to afterlife via grief, it helps with, I mean, so many different aspects of well-being. Um, yes. And it can be triggering sometimes. So being aware of that and listening to our body, if it's not feeling safe to close your eyes, for example, then don't, um, listening to our body, but, uh, regular meditation. Um, absolutely. I'm going to pop in here and actually, as we're inching towards the hour, then this is a good place to kind of transition into. I teach um, an ongoing, I put it here in the classes and events, I teach an ongoing online uh, meditation class that's focused on healing as well as intuitive opening. Um, and I also have a ongoing meetup group for fun for other intuitives, uh, mediums, healers, etc., where we are just getting together to fill up each other's cups. Um, and then totally echoing what Liz says of exploring classes up above in the chat, I listed my resources page where there are places to um, study. And then also in the fall, I just wrapped it up, but I will be offering again an ongoing course um, on intuitive development for beginners. And it's a trauma informed perspective that I've put together, just keeping close that Sometimes our intuitive abilities open up in trauma and or the opening itself can be traumatic because we're having questions of like, is this real? Am I losing it? Like all of those things that we learn how to really befriend and fold in. So absolutely meditation uh, regularly, absolutely classes. Um, and I'll make sure to keep all of that updated. It's always on my website for those that I offer. And then also exploring classes from lots of different places, the institutes that we've that we've mentioned um, and other, other mediums, other researchers. So we want to be conscious of everyone's time. First of all, thank you for participating. Um, Liz, do you want to let people know where to find you and also any upcoming exciting offerings that you have? Yeah, definitely. You can go to my website. I'll type it in. It's um, wtfjusthappened.net. And there you go. Um, and so there, okay, yeah, you can link to buy my book there on Amazon. I'm writing my second book. It's been out in a few months, probably a little longer than a few months, but working on it, my audio book for my first book will be out um, towards the end of the summer. Um, 
I have my podcast that comes out pretty much weekly. I talk to really interesting people, including Lenore is going to be on one of my episodes soon. And um, yeah, and then if anyone's interested in one of the science spirituality events, you can always message me, offer them virtually as well as in person. But yeah, mainly my book kind of tells my whole story. If you ever read it and have any questions, always feel free to reach out and see with my podcast, I answer questions on my podcast. I can, I'm happy to do them anonymously as well. And just, I guess, for me, my podcast is just, I try to bring on the people that just made a huge difference in my life early on. and Or people who I found a little later, but no, they would have made a huge difference. And I try to keep it very, like, fact-based and not bring all the woo in, but also try I try to take a very grace, like, sensitive approach to all of it. because. Yeah, I came to this third grade, so yeah, and you can always contact me with any questions too. I'll just add uh, um, my email here too. I have a little patience sometimes if I'm slow replying. I'm just getting a little bit of overwhelmed. Just do a lot of stuff, but uh, it doesn't mean I won't get back to you. And I'd rather get like make you wait a little longer, give a really thoughtful answer than just be like, "Hey, okay, yeah, here." So. <laughs> Beautiful. Yes. And I love your podcast and just, I'm going to sing the praises of her, of Liz's book as well. Your book is just, it's so fun and funny and serious as well as light, which is a whole voice in and of itself. That is really a huge contribution to the afterlife world, which can be either very like sad and heavy or very scientific and almost sterile. And you bring this beautiful levity of like, let's laugh. And by the way, this is painful. And by the way, there are also really beautiful ways forward. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so we will thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank we you. will send out the recording. Uh, we'll also link to our websites. Um, one last food for thought. If anyone is in New England, I will be co-hosting first retreats in the Boston area. It'll be August 25th to 27th and also events before and after. Um, and it's a mind, body, spirit. There will be readings, multiple readings with an incredible colleague of mine, Kate Stakeholm, who is a licensed psychotherapist, as well as an incredible evidential medium. There will be candlelit yoga, there will be Reiki, there will be teachings for how to open up to your intuitive gifts as well. So sending that through, and there is actually through today, the early bird, which is, um, it's yeah, on through, through the end of the evening today. Uh, thank you all so much for joining. We hope to keep connecting to you in the future. Um, we will send the link out um, in due time uh, as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, just thank you for being here. And we're here to answer questions as they come up as well. So have a beautiful evening, everybody. Thank you so much. Great. Yeah, thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Uh, Bye-bye. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to share that my book, What the Fuck Just Happened? A Sciencey Skeptic Explores Grief, Healing, and Evidence of an Afterlife is available now for sale. If you go to wtfjusthappened.net, you can see the link to buy it. I'll also have the link in the podcast show notes.
I know many of you want to know how exactly did I come to change my mind about the afterlife? Well, this book is all about the first stages of my exploration into this afterlife evidence to where I'm at today. It starts with the awful part of when I lost my dad, how as a science-minded atheist, I first began to explore if there was any possibility of an afterlife, and what and who I found most compelling. I also share some stuff that was not so compelling, such as a very clearly fake psychic medium reading and a pretty ridiculous seance, but that's balanced by some amazing peer-reviewed studies on mediums, medium readings, parapsychologists, and just a whole bunch of what the fucks, including some really inexplicable personal things that happened to me, and some really incredible signs I got from my dad. Despite the topic, it's actually funny, mainly because I'm just like such an awkward person. And you also get to learn about all the amazing people and incredible characters I met along the way, as well as more about the research that helped change my mind. And some of the people you learn about have become some of my really good friends and mentors today. So go to wtfjusthappened.net and order it. If you've already read it, please rate and review on Amazon. I cannot tell you how helpful that is. And share with any friends who might be interested. Thank you all. I'm so excited to finally share the full details of this crazy exploration with all of you. Do you enjoy puzzles? But are you tired of the same old boring puzzles? Mix things up with Wongo puzzles. Each puzzle is a custom design with intricate patterns and whimsical shapes that will keep you engaged for hours. Plus, I personally really love this aspect. Their eco-friendly materials and commitment to sustainability make Wongo puzzles a guilt-free way to unwind. And they also are really great gifts for people. I just got one for my mom. I got one for my friend and they're enjoying them so much. And here are some of the things I love so much about Wongo puzzles. They're 100% wooden puzzles. They'll last forever. Each piece is hand drawn. So no two pieces are the same. And you'll discover some fun, whimsy pieces as you work through it. They come in a custom wooden box, which is perfect for storage and gifting. My two favorite puzzles personally were the snow globe and the turtle. They're just really colorful, really fun. And I finished them both in a night. It's just like losing myself in that meditative state. And I really hadn't done puzzles since I was a kid. I'd forgotten how much I liked them. So what are you waiting for? Go to wongopuzzles.com and pick your puzzle today. And be sure to use the promo code WTFJustHappened to get 10% off your order. This is the most fun you've had with a puzzle, guaranteed, or your money back. Go to wongopuzzles.com and use the code WTFJustHappened to get 10% off your order and get puzzling right now. Club Care is a charity organization founded by Emma Justice, 
after the loss of her father, David Justice, to glioblastoma. Club Care is dedicated to supporting children and families dealing with cancer. They strive to create joyful moments through meaningful projects impacting individual families, as well as larger oncology communities. Funding for all projects is raised through philanthropic donations. Go to makingheadway.org backslash programs for a complete list of programs and activities. So I hope you enjoyed this bonus episode with Dr. Lenore Matthew. And be sure to check out her website and follow her on YouTube and Instagram, which I link to in the show notes. To get more information on what the fuck just happened, go to wtfjusthappened.net. There you can order my book, What the Fuck Just Happened? A Sciency Skeptic Explores Grief, Healing, and Evidence of an Afterlife. And you can learn all about how I came to conclude that there most likely is an afterlife. You can also learn about the early stages of my grief and the amazing, fascinating people I met along the way. You can also read about how much I harassed them trying to get evidence, see if they were cheating, and see if they were sane. There, you can subscribe to our newsletter. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. It makes such a difference, especially for a new podcast like this one. And if any of you have had a crazy what the fuck yourself, have any questions, feedback, or just want to say hi, reach out on either Instagram at WTF underscore just underscore happened underscore or email me at hello at WTF just happened.net. And remember, you don't have to draw any final conclusions as you wonder what the fuck just happened. Thank you.